0: Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. Welcome back to those of you that were just listening to last week's podcast. We had to segment it because it got too long catching up. We've been apart and we want to get into some of our field talk and share this episode with you as well. But before we get started, I just would like to thank all of you for reaching out for those of you that share comments on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, and let us know what you think of the show. Send us your questions and the shout outs. We appreciate those big time as well. And in addition to that, each of us, Michael, Ron, and I have really enjoyed meeting people in the field this fall and looking forward to meeting more of you as time goes on. So thank you for your enthusiasm and for your support this week. Michael Morrill, Ron Hayes, and myself, Mark Raycroft, are coming to you from the different corners of the continent via Skype. Michael's in Anchorage, Ron's in Wyoming, and I'm in Ontario, Canada. And our talented producer is behind the scenes recording this as we speak in Denver, Colorado. That's Missy McKenzie. Guys! Good to see your face again from just stopping the last podcast three minutes ago to starting this one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I just want to reiterate on
1: what you said. And it's, it's, uh, I am just constantly amazed about the the reach that we have, although I don't think it's huge. I just, everywhere I go, the other day I was standing out in the middle of Norwichville, Alaska, and some guy heard my voice and he said, Hey, are you the guy on Wild and Exposed? And it was just from my voice. And so it's, I'm just blown away. I'm glad there's a lot of, you know, the people that are really into wildlife, I think they've found it. I think we can, we're sharing so much information that I think it's going to be popular for a bunch of people. But the people that are totally into wildlife, they're digging it. Everybody tells me that anyways. And I do want to mention that guy's name. His name was Derek. Pretty cool. Just kind of came up. And, but the other thing too, is if you, if you see me in the field and you hit me up like that, chances are, you're going to get some really good wildlife spawning information. Cause I put him on like moose. Like you never, you can't believe, unfortunately he didn't have time to go down and get him Cause it was like a two or three mile hike, but hit me up. If you see me, your chances
0: are, you're going to get all kinds of good stuff. Nice guy. And I, I have to say, I, I, you know, I don't mind your voice. There's some nights I am editing late at the computer and I'll put on one of our podcasts and you help me get through it, man. Both <laughs> of you. Ron, sense of humor. And yeah, absolutely. Love it. So it's always been fun. Each episode's fun. When we do it ourselves, it's just great to reconnect because we're such like minded photographers. When we have our guests on. I just love hearing their stories, their adventures they do, what they do professionally. They're behind the scenes. We've had such an incredible array of guests this year. I, it's really been a wonderful ride. And the more people we meet, the more guests we have because everybody has a story. And for those that want to share it and you know, we're do good work, we're, it's, it's fun to get to know these people that way too and, and share it, so yeah, it's, it's been a joy. Hit me up, too, because I always have stickers with me. Anybody that says they, anything, I give them a sticker. And Okay, they, I've got they, no hats left. The only hat I have is the one on my head now. I'm short on hats, and Ron Hayes is wearing a T-shirt right now with the biggest Wild and Exposed logo on his chest that I've seen. Where is that from? Oh, oh it's the size of a bear's head on his chest. I love it. Looks good, buddy. And over his shoulder, he's got an amazing elk. He just... Captured, I think, just last week, and he's got Wild and Exposed logo on that.
2: Loving it. Yeah, so that, this is one of those opportunities that we talked about to, to get out and meet some folks. There was the, the Wild West Photo Fest in Casper, Wyoming. A lot of photographers, and uh, one of the things that I was able to do was to get an interview with Isaac Spots, who was the Youth Photographer of the Year at the Smithsonian Competition, of the what is it, nature's best? I think is the the competition, and Isaac was fortunate enough to win the youth photographer of the year and caught up with him, spoke to him, got it all recorded, and I hope Missy doesn't kill me by the time she's done editing it because there were some technical issues, um, but that should be coming in the very near future, and then getting out and meeting a lot of people in the field. Um, jason cox a, a colorado photographer got out and and shared some information with him he shared some information with me but i looking at what jason's done since we uh since we were together and, and he asked a lot of questions um kind of improved some of the technical aspects of what he's doing man the stuff that he's gotten since that has been phenomenal he's doing a fantastic job and that's you know, getting out and meeting a ton of people this this fall. I guess last year we had kind of just gotten started. We were only a couple months into this project. Um, this year it's a it's a huge difference in people that not only recognize us but come up and, and say something and visit and it's a good time. And ask about your,
0: your vehicle and alarms and know the stories behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> and get a what good chat. Get a good chuckle when it happened again. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, which has happened more than once, from what I understand.
2: Yeah, unfortunately it has. I appreciate you bringing that up, Mark. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we all have our moments out there. You know, yeah. it's funny. I, 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 Eric and Debbie, who I love, you know, I've said this before, They're like my West Coast family part of all my friends and network out there. That I'm heading up there this week. And last year we were filming so much. No, sorry, I stand corrected. Last oh last spring maybe not not fall because I missed last fall but I was so tired with the long days so fatigued they invite, invited me for lunch and we're sitting there at the picnic table they brought me this nice hot coffee and made me a sandwich so generous and then I just happened to use my hand in my eye, cross-eyed fatigue state state to knock my coffee right into Eric's sandwich and I said don't you like coffee flavored sandwiches. So I just get that all the time now. So since I'm heading out there, I'll see them in a couple of days. I got a, a what what a meme right? A meme's with like a little video, funny thing, of this guy walking along with a slushy on on a, on a sidewalk and just falling and spilling it everywhere. And they're want yeah, they're they're ready for my company. So it happens to everybody. Is what I'm saying. We all have fun, embarrassing moments. I mean, I wasn't in my underwear, hopping through the vehicle and driving in night cross country that way for a long way. But
2: the, the fortunate thing was there was no nudity involved in the second incident. Oh, well, there wasn't <laughs> the first, there's partial, partial,
0: acceptable beach beachfront quality. Right, right. True. Anyway, that's all part of the fun. The stories and the, the you know, honestly, I would, I would hope this went, happened uh, I missed going to the far north the past couple of weeks. And a good friend of mine was texting me because somebody burned him on a prank. And I had some material to help him get even and, and have and all in good fun, total good fun. And I, oh, I was happens. there for that. Oh, were you? Yeah. Like, okay, good, good. Did, did it happen? Did he use this stuff? Oh, no, did he, I didn't or, see the,
1: the, I didn't see what happened. Oh, yeah, but I saw okay. what they did and okay. he,
0: that he's such a good sport. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the fun of it, right? We we have we have so many great friends that we meet in the field and we have a great time and it, you see each other once or twice or three times a year if you're lucky. And so to have fun like that and get some laughs in, in all in all in a good way. I love it. I love it. that's what we do. That's part of the podcast. It's part of the sharing behind the scenes. So thanks, Ron, for putting yourself out there and telling us about your adventure in Yellowstone at 4 a.m.
2: Oh, absolutely. Why not? I'm laughing at myself. Everybody else might get a, might as well get a laugh also. So
0: let's let's bring people on board with with especially what you guys have been up to. My adventures are just going to start. I mean, I've been doing some stuff out east here, and, and the colors are just beginning to think about changing. It's mid September. Um, I don't, Ron. I mean, the stuff that that you've collected this fall with the elk and the light. Uh, from velvet shedding to dramatic settings uh, to behavior so far and even the uh, the osprey you put up on instagram today a lot of great stuff yeah
2: that that thing was just that was kind of just one of those lucky fortuitous moments you're there and and he takes a a nice bank and flies right at me and you know i got some other stuff too that's probably better overall image but i kind of like the fact that he was coming right at me and so was the fish the way the the way the osprey turns the fish to to be more aerodynamic as they fly turn it lengthwise so the the fish's mouth is looking right at me as well so it was it was pretty fun opportunity but the elk is you know having a job outside of photography you you have to be selective in the opportunities that you seek out and one of the things that i wanted to get this year was uh, elk shedding velvet and so I chose the, the time of year that I thought was going to be the best. And that's where I kind of took some time off and wanted to focus my energy. And then I got a couple phone calls. This goes back to our network and the people out there that we've met and had positive interactions with. And they said, you know, if you if you want it, you better get down here because they're all starting to shed or some of them have already are already hard horned. And so I bumped it up a week and. Um, And that's when I met uh, Jason Cox up in, in this area in Colorado. And uh, we were fortunate to run into some other people, get some Intel, uh, Gary and his son and uh, from Creek bed photography on Instagram. And they gave us some Intel about these bulls that they had been photographing filming And so we went to, to look at them. One was already stripping the velvet and the other one was still in full velvet, hadn't started at all. And what it turned into is basically a 24 hour period of watching this bull go from full velvet to hard horn and already starting to add some color, you know, rubbing in the willows. And, and it was, it was quite an experience. I got some video and then also, um, You know, got a lot of stills with it and had, like you said, had the opportunity to get some incredible light um, in some of these valleys. But watching that whole process was I've never experienced, you know, the full start to finish shedding of the velvet in the beginning. They were very or he was very tentative. Uh, You could tell that, it you know, there was still some feeling maybe in that in the velvet itself even though it's you know starting to separate starting to get hard but by the second day because he when he first started to rub it was just a little bit at a time and just kind of itching and almost scratching an itch real lightly and then by the second day he was already pretty aggressive with uh, the willows and the smaller pine trees that he was using to to rub on and watching those antlers already you know those Those antlers go from blood red because there's still blood flowing underneath the velvet. That's where the nutrients travel to the antler and and help it to grow. And then that blood supply slowly slowly starts to decrease as they start to get hard horned. And uh, and they start to rub this off, and it's almost like a scab. Some of it's ready and some of it's not. So some of it's a little bit more tender, and then the rest of that flesh just kind of strings off and there's seems to be no feeling at all um but it was neat to watch him go from being tentative to being aggressive about you know the way that he got it off and and all of a sudden he's starting to put some color on those antlers getting in the mud starting to brown them up a little bit and it it was just a fun really like i said it happened pretty much in 24 hours it's amazing to catch that, and I think yeah. so. For
0: for elk, this year it seemed to be the earliest I've ever seen. I saw somebody post something on Instagram. I think it was August twelfth or something. A bull elk had shedded velvet. And I'm like, yeah, it was crazy, Mister Elk. You're too early, and not because of the rut or anything like that. It's like they have to give those antlers time to harden. I would wager that bull's going to break more tines than bulls that shed their velvet two or three weeks later. Who knows? But it was so strange how early it was this year. But typically, it would be right toward the end of the month. Like moose are the last week, mm-hmm. August, although, excuse me, in the last year or two, we've seen them go right into like September 5th. Last,
2: 6th, last year was first week in September when we were up. Yeah. So it's as weird
0: as it's, so some of it was later, but then this mm-hmm. year, they all seem early. Where I am east, I mean, I, I have to drive three hours north to get into the edge of moose country and I can do whitetails within an hour, hour and a half of where I live. So I've been doing whitetails instead. And they were on time this year and, and are actually just shedding well second week of September is when that mostly occurs here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's the elk seemed early. But to be able to capture that, I mean it's a thrill because it's really a narrow window. It really highlights a big part of, of the antler story. Because it's an annual cycle. They start growing them early, early spring and then rapid through, rapidly through June and July. Then they solidify till August, shed their velvet. And that's the transition to fall when they get to put this to use. So to have that documentation yeah. and, and the quality of images that you collected. And again, listeners, you know, these really are worth checking out on our Instagram or at our wild on our show notes for today's podcast and see what Ron's talking about, because it's a sight to
2: behold. And the bull that you had doing it was phenomenal as well. Yeah, he was a good bull. He was a really good bull. And that like you said, that's just another piece of the the life story that I've not been able to really capture or capture with the type of quality that I wanted to have it in. I've got, you know, calves in the spring, I've got elk in the winter, got elk during the rut, you know, all those different pieces of the of the life cycle, but I've never gotten a bull that was just freshly shedding the velvet like that and that it, it was it was a fun piece of the fun piece of the story so and it was one of those call your shot type of things it was uh, I was really committed to all or nothing I knew what I wanted and that's what I was looking for I mean there were bulls that were already hard horned and there were bulls that still had velvet on but they showed no sign of of wanting to get it stripped off and so it was i looked for one opportunity found it and i just stayed on that until i got the story i wanted to get and i only had a couple of days to get it, a few days to get it anyway so you know I, I was fortunate in that regard well good on you for trying
0: thanks to those people telling you to move no, it up exactly yep you got out there you know the people who do, you don't go you don't get anything right you have to try mm-hmm. How often do we try when we, I mean, there's a trip we may not anticipate and we go and pleasantly surprised by results and not what we'd necessarily expect all the time, but something happens. We're up there, right? You've got to be out there. So good on you for doing that. And for your elk book someday, this chapter is looked after,
2: man.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's right
2: <rain> itself. <laughs>
0: the uh, one I don't have, I'd love to try to get this winter is, is a bull with just one antler, the one dropped. And mm-hmm. I saw a video uh, on Instagram i mean it's such a wealth of imagery out there by our friend john timmer i think it was john's with the bull he had a video of a bull dropping his antlers antlers, yeah he just he was with a bunch shook his head and dropped them and it's on his instagram feed i was like my jaw dropped when i was watching that shane mcguire that was another one where i stopped scrolling and i had to watch that video like four times i'm like you're kidding me hats off to you john good job
2: there was a photographer in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, a few years back, and on the elk refuge there, he got an image of an, this bull bent forward to, uh, to take a bite. You know, they feed the bulls out on the, the elk feed grounds. And bent forward to take a bite, both antlers dropped off, and he got both antlers in the air. And that, that picture is at just about every hotel in Jackson. But it was It was amazing timing. Back to last podcast
0: and and Michael Morrow's word of of the week for that podcast, future-proofing. That's a situation you want to future-proof that image and have the best (laughs) quality of image you can because you'll be able to sell that forever. Exactly. Exactly. Wow.
1: Very cool. Well, That bull that you've been shooting is a freak show.
2: Well, that's not the same bull, though. That was the second intentional trip. Uh, because I didn't we were we were in the north and last year I didn't have the opportunity to get him um, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of images of this bull but I, I just wanted to have a few for myself and I wanted to see him in person to be honest with you you know and put another year on him he's just that much bigger uh, we were we were north last year and by the time we got down you know Michael and I you can you can listen back to the the podcast that we did about the, the late or kind of the tail end of the elk rut, um, last year. And that bull wasn't, wasn't in that area anymore. So I wanted to go a little bit earlier. I knew it was a dominant bull and a lot of times, especially, you know, in our area where these elk are, are running wild and, and real competitive, the larger bulls will start to gather cows earlier. So I wanted to get right at the beginning and I honestly think. You know, last year, I kind of felt like we saw the end of the rut this year. I know for a fact, I saw day one and, and he was following this cow and calf around and put him to bed. Didn't have really a good opportunity to get any images of him, put him to bed. And that afternoon I went back to the same spot where he, where he went to bed at thinking, you know, I'm going to be in this area when they come back out of the timber. And hopefully catch some images of him in, in the good evening or late afternoon light. And when he came back out of the timber, there was 90 cows and calves with him. I don't have any idea where they even came from. I mean, all the elk were hanging way up high that I had seen before. And then all of a sudden, here they are with this pull. It, it was amazing. And then it, it was game on. The whole This whole valley lit up with elk activity from that point. So I, it couldn't have been better timing on either of those, you know, kind of quick trips. And that bull is incredible. I th- I think his third time on both sides has got to be close to 30 inches long. It just keeps going forever. And he is very dramatic in his gesturing So if you start to recognize his, his behavior, he rolls his head up quite a bit and it really accentuates those, those fronts and those long tines that he's got, um, as he rolls his head back, you know, either pursuing a cow or, you know, posturing for another bull and he's pretty aggressive. So there's a, a spike and a lot of times those big bulls, they won't worry about the spikes too much, but he kept that spike run off pretty much the whole time. So that, that opportunity, I don't know that I'll get again with you know the the access that I had to him and the, the fact that he was he was right there in an area that was accessible, number one, number two, the morning light, and having so what happened was as the sun came up the the light started getting brighter and then these kind of fluffy clouds started coming over so they would put the hillside behind him in shadow when the the sun was behind the cloud but the bull was still he was still in full light and then you catch the edge of the cloud so it's you know it's past golden hour of course the sun's up it's full sunlight but as the sun starts to move come out from behind the cloud cloud moves a little bit further east, the sun starts to break out from behind, you get that same angle and quality of light that you would get as the sun is just coming over the horizon in the morning. So you don't have very long. You've just got a few seconds with that quality of light. But if you anticipate it, and that's you know another pro tip in that type of situation is don't be afraid to look behind you to see what the light is doing but also what's going to happen with the light. Because as you look back, you see those clouds and you can start to anticipate these things. Be ready. When that sun breaks out from behind the cloud, it was like three, two, one. Okay, boom, shoot. And at that time, uh, I was with another friend of the podcast, uh, Jason Loftus. And we were both just like shaking our head at at the quality of light that we were getting, even the later it got in the morning. And and the opportunities that that bull was given us, it was pretty unbelievable. And shout out to Jason's son, Hunter. He got some amazing B-roll video. He's he's turned into quite the little videographer. So shout out to Hunter, did a great job. What were you going to say, Mark?
0: Well, I know that these bulls live a long time, but if if the guy has ninety cows and is going to keep them for the rut, you know, you might want to get out there and photograph him again because it sounds like at the end of fall he could be pretty uh, worn out and vulnerable. Pretty
2: worn out, yeah.
0: Or is there other bulls and stuff too. So hopefully, given you know how magnificent he is, he will last for years. But this is the kind of the pinnacle, right? Because mm-hmm. he will have to have such an energy drain over these weeks ahead, and and be vulnerable at the end of the rut. That way too. So, you know, like last year, that bull, you know, we did,
1: like Ron said, we saw these images and we were like, well, let's go, let's go see if we can find that bull. And he wasn't anywhere. So maybe he's smart enough to know that when he's done, he's done and you just go rest up and make it, make it through the winter.
0: And for those that know of where these, animals are or if they if you have your own sweet spot with some magical situation with some animal whether it's a blind on private property whether it's a national park where whoever wherever it might be you know when we're in these fortuitous situations you know I've had the good fortune over the years to film a variety of in this case you know like we're talking about magnificent bull elk there was one I filmed for three years straight. It was the biggest bull I've ever had the privilege to spend time with, and I'd spend every, I'd spend from sunup to sundown with him, especially on an overcast day. Pack a lunch and get way back in the timber and just go at a safe distance and respectful distance and make the most of of that opportunity. And he ended up two years ago um, dying, getting killed in the rut, and another big bull in that area got killed in the rut. And I'm so immensely grateful for those days those photographic opportunities but even more importantly the memories that i had in back in the timber with those animals that that privilege of that time so don't take it for granted that these animals are going to be around or these opportunities will be repeated year after year after year for those of you out there who are aspiring or professional photographers make the most of it respectfully make the most of what's happening with these magnificent animals because you know, they they don't last. They don't stick around. And mm-hmm. as wondrous as it as it seems at the time, you know, live in the moment and make the most of it. Because I wish I wish this big, this I've never. I'm hoping he sired many offspring that in another you know, two, three, four. I mean, they'll have to be six or seven years old before they reach anywhere near his caliber, but will show up. But until yeah, then,
2: and I know this guy has has had plenty of opportunities. There were some images with. uh Prove positive that he's doing his best to give it a shot anyway. Um, but he, you know, even those big bulls, you still have to have the genetic perfect storm. Got to have good genes on both sides. They definitely will produce strong offspring. But then you've got to get a, you've got to get a bull that lives to maturity. You know, gets through predation when they're young survives the rut when they start to get older get a little bit more aggressive and uh is able to find you know forage to keep them strong enough through the winter so it's still a perfect storm to produce an animal like that and they just don't come around you know it's like a freak athlete they don't come around every generation it's it's something that is uh, a combination of a lot of fortunate factors yeah. So it is a definitely a privilege to be out there with an animal like that. You know, it would be like the way I felt with this, with this guy was, it'd be almost the equivalent of being out there with an 80 inch bull moose in Alaska. Everything's got to work out perfectly to produce, uh, an animal like that. And, and obviously to have the time to get out and be fortunate enough to photograph or video that animal. That's kind of the way I felt about this guy. I may never see anything like him ever again. So that's why I wanted to make it a point to, to get down there, even if it was for a short time and hopefully I'll be able to make it back. But at least I got that opportunity. And for the short time that I spent with him, I felt really good about some of the images that I came away with.
0: So you should, they're wonderful images, very powerful light and behavior. Great stuff. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it's something and, you know, we all can look back with 2020 vision. There are so many trips. There's so many things I would have changed if I'd known, you know, with that animal, that opportunity. My mm-hmm. first trip into remote Alaska camping in the backcountry uh, was my first time. I'm, I had talked to other photographers. that had done this backcountry trip to get some ideas, but it's still my first time there. I had another friend with me and we had a flight Uh, three days from when this occurred and there's a big system coming a big storm system forecasted and we were camping in the backcountry we had to cross a mountain range to get out and we knew that wasn't likely going to happen with the amount of snow that was predicted to fall I didn't see them the day the snow started but when the snow started we pulled up and headed out the day before we'd photographed literally an 80-inch bull moose in velvet. He's the big one in my book that represents the Alaska, Yukon subspecies next to the Eastern subspecies to show the width. He was absolute monster in velvet. We left my first trip. I didn't, what I should have done is forget, forget the flight. And in this situation, I didn't have anything I had to be back for and just hunkered down because these two other photographers stayed back there. There was a foot of snow, this bull shed his velvet the next day and he's strutting around on this open country with these big red antlers and snow everywhere. And I can't tell you how many times I saw Mike and Dushan's pictures of that bull everywhere again and again and again. So it's, you,
1: know, you want me to make you feel better?
0: <laughs> you <can. laughs> but this is one example. I could tell so many stories. So I'm just living the moment and make the best, best of it. But yeah, go for it. Yeah. Strike. Go that was in the film days yeah right it was in the film days <laughs> so it doesn't matter no it's all it's all, the, other, all the images
1: you can't use now anyway so
0: oh i know oh you, oh, you literally <laughs> make me feel better oh you did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah so true enough that was film days because was a long time ago my first trip up there so but yeah you just never know when things will change so that's that's right. awesome that you had that opportunity with that bull and hopefully you will again And hopefully for years, but for those that are out there, wherever you might be, you've got a fox den on your property in the spring and are privileged to watch those kits grow up and you have that opportunity. They may not be back next year. Enjoy it. Photograph it the best you can when that opportunity is there. You know, that's what we do. But it's so hard, just like our July trip. That was mind blowing. The places we went in the Kenai Fjords on the boat for those days. Absolutely spectacular. Listen to the story on our podcast if you haven't already. We did a few podcasts from out there and, but I, no idea. I have never had that experience, could never have predicted it. And, you know, it won't be repeated the same way either. If we do it again, it'll be different. I right. just, you know, such privilege to be out there. And Did you guys see, I'm getting way off track here. Did you, I sent you the link for that <laughs> on Instagram, that super pod of orcas in Norway. Oh yeah, the Norway. Holy moly. I That's amazing.
2: Yeah, that yeah, was unbelievable.
0: That's... Yep. Okay. All that right. would be something to experience. but... Oh, that's that's a mind melter right there. And they and you could tell that the people that were filming it that just have so many surfacing. And then you see the gulls, like it looked like a thousand gulls on the surface. So that I don't know if it's the world's biggest, I don't know what was happening because it wouldn't be a bait ball for orcas. What's going on? <laughs> so the birds are there and there had to, I don't know, even know how many orcas were just, they're just huge dorsals popping up everywhere. Mm hmm. Rough, kind of rough seas in a way, too. It's just very dramatic. Anyway, such an amazing planet, people. Have fun at their Michael Morrill has been in the far north. I was supposed
2: to be with him. I've been biting my lip and sucking it up here in the (laughs) south. I was supposed to be with him for different reasons, couldn't be, but man, seeing the image that he teased us with today, I sure wish I was. Mm hmm. It's been pretty good. It's not, uh, you know,
1: the rut hasn't even started yet. So it's, I'm, I'm still waiting for all that magic, you know, but I'm just shooting videos. So it requires all that behavior, you know, leading up to this to tell that whole story. So I hope that it all happens. You know, I still have yet to see a good fight. I've still yet to see. There's not a lot of calves around, so I'm not getting any calves, which would be cool. But what I am getting is cool, and what I am seeing is cool. There's there's a lot of tolerable, I guess is the way to say it, animals around. So tolerable you,
0: bulls. Tolerable, tolerable
1: bulls. bulls. Yeah, that's a mouthful. So it requires a hiker. There.
0: <laughs> what? The bulls in the word tolerable. Tolerable. Sorry. Tolerable yeah. bull. All right,
2: all right, I'm stopping. <clears throat> yeah, you uh,
1: So that's good. You can always find a a good subject to, to work on. And then you just hope that the behavior happens and then you hope that you have the right weather and you hope that you have the right light. That's one thing we don't get a lot of up here, Ron, is that light that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so weird when we were up here this summer, it was so hot and then this fall is totally different. It's all cold. It's not cold. It's cool. It's perfect temperature, but the rain, it just won't stop raining, which is Good, too, because it needs it. I think finally all these fires are out up here, but it's just been one of those deals where you got this perfect behavior going on and it's just far enough away in the fog where you can kind of see it, but you can't see it kind of thing. And so it's just a lot of those situations where I haven't quite got the perfect situation. I mean, I've got a lot of good stuff for sure, but I haven't nailed it perfectly yet. But that's just a time thing.
2: And then, the then black and white image you sent looked like the perfect situation to me. <laughs> I don't was... know what could have been any better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a good, that was a good bull. That was a tolerable bull right there. That was for sure. Um, yeah. The, I I don't know. I just been trying different things. Like I said earlier too, I've been trying to not just do that same old thing where you just go out with a big lens and you know, get that same shot. I've been trying wide angle stuff and I've been messing around just whenever you find a situation where you can try. The thing about up here is the mountains are so spectacular. And if you're shooting with the telephoto, it seems like you're always just getting that animal and you don't, You it's so hard to show this immense landscape. The problem with shooting mm-hmm. with a wide angle is you got to be pretty damn close. So yeah. I've been messing around with this Sony You can remote trigger it with your phone. So you kind of try to go set it up, but then it's all prediction, right? Where's this bull going to lay down? Where is this bull going to walk where? And then you got to go set it up and then you got to guesstimate on the focus. I think maybe this will work. It's a lot of just playing around, but if you want to get a different image, I think that's what you have to do these days. How far can you
0: get from the camera to trigger it? Have you tested that?
1: No, I haven't messed around with that too much i'm still just kind of playing around with it just to see what exactly works the same thing with the time lapse on this thing the cool thing about all the clouds and all the mountains that are around here is the time lapse situations that you see i mean you just constantly got fog moving in and moving out and clouds covering mountains and then you know just non-stop all day long so i think there's a lot of cool things but not being a, am more of a visual guy so i have to go I thought the other day I stopped to do a time-lapse. I'm like, oh, it's all built into this camera. I'm just going to do this. I couldn't figure it out. So I had to come back and watch a YouTube video. And it, of course it's just buried in the menu. I had to go find it, figure out how to do it. And then now I'll be set up, but I can run all that with the phone too. So you can get it set up or set up the camera and go work on my video and just have it producing a time-lapse for me. All right. So Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. Like I said, we've been meeting a lot of people. The, one of the best things about this time of year for the moose is every photo op is exercise. I'm either riding three or four miles uphill to get to a good spot, or if I'm going the other direction, it's walking three or four miles to get to a good spot. And it's it forces you to get in shape. Which is kind of a good thing, you know, because you can't you gotta be at one of these two spots to get the good shot. So
0: Right. Now that's important. We got a lot of time sitting on our derriere editing and working on stuff. So it's it's I welcome the exercise when we get out filming. Yep. Makes a you huge difference. That right now. Yeah.
1: The the other thing that's happening up here is it was such a different year. And I don't have enough experience you know I haven't lived here for 20 years I haven't lived here for 30 years like some of these guys I talked to but like bears they normally see a lot of bears up here especially this time of year when in the fall where they're just cleaning up on berries and there'll be brown bears and black bears we haven't seen I've seen one black bear so -hmm. it's been a very different and then you can walk along and I should send you guys some pictures and I will put them in the show notes I found a berry patch the other day. I have never, ever seen a berry patch like this berry patch. I mean, it was like, you could put your hand in there and come out with a half a cup of berries just by one one scoop in there. It was just amazing. So I've never seen it. I don't know if that happens in certain places or if it was just so dry and this place happened to be wetter than most everything around it. And that just... That's why it happened. I don't know. It's just incredible. So I'm seeing a lot of different things and a lot of the local guys that have been shooting here for 10, 20 years. They're commenting on some of these things that I've noticed, but I wasn't sure if that was an anomaly or if it's just cause I'm, you know, I've been here for a couple of years now and you just kind of figure it out.
2: That's kind of surprising with it, given the, the drought that they've had up there this summer and they eat, but you did send a picture of, or uh, you texted us a picture of one bush, and it was, you know, when we were up there last fall, there was blueberries everywhere, but there wasn't anything as dense with.
1: Yeah, so I did the send it to you guys. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I, I think you Instagram didn't get story. Missy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's Missy right. put it on. The, so out on, on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, yep. it's just amazing. I I texted her right afterwards. I'm like, I, you wouldn't believe this.
0: And How that's like, kind of
2: the opposite. I don't. You know, I don't know what precipitates that, but kind of the opposite. Mark was commenting on how early the the elk were shedding velvet this year, and one of the thoughts that I had was, you know, a lot of times um, on years where it's really, really wet, they don't have to seek out water. There's a lot of water in the forbs that they're eating in the spring and uh, all throughout the summer, so they get a lot of their moisture at the same time that they're getting the the nutrients when they're eating those forbs and there's a lot of moisture in it and so a lot of times on years like that that are really wet like we've had in the in the rocky mountain west you'll have a little bit better antler growth and i don't know if that's what caused these elk to start to shed their velvet earlier or or not but that's one of the thoughts that i had because it was it was amazing i mean you always think about the end of august is when you want to Kind of target to get that behavior but it did happen very early and actually you said on the 12th and it was actually that following weekend when i went down and most of the bulls down there had already had already stripped it and so i don't that's just a, a thought that i had as you're always thinking what causes this or causes that and i don't have enough data obviously to uh formulate a hypothesis but That's my that's my theory, I'm gonna start with. (laughs) But
1: the the berries, I I don't I grew up shooting those elk, you know, throughout the photographic career, and you could just guarantee the third week in August it was Mm -hmm. you could get a bull shed in velvet, but I think it's way earlier now. But up here with with the moose, it's right on schedule. It just seems to be pretty much on schedule with these guys. So and it sounds like the white tails up in canada are pretty much on schedule so it's hard to say i mean you kind of want to attribute it to global warming or something but if it's right in some places and whether it's right or not you can't say that if it's normal Mm -hmm. then you know you you can't attribute it to any one thing but i guess it could be just little pockets of change that would promote you know could it be the population elk too I mean, where yeah, you've been shooting, there's more be. elk than anywhere. So mm-hmm. maybe that's just the sooner they get into out of the velvet, the, the more productive they're going to be earlier. I don't know.
0: Yeah. It's, the, it's uh, all worth speculating about. I know here the whitetail rep for probably the past half a dozen or so years is a week or two later than it used to be. It's third week of November it seems to be more active now for the, peak of the rut but again what what causes that i think i think you've got a good point there ron about the summertime if it's hot and dry like that it could maybe stimulate the antlers to be finished sooner and shed velvet sooner too but yeah without studying it for years and well, it's, it's all fun of what we do kind of yeah trying yeah. to understand them right understand the behavior this is one part of it i mean yeah as far as wanting to document nature or wildlife, it's it's understanding this and, and capturing it. So,
2: and that's part of the inquisitive nature that keeps us all out there. Oh, you want to you want to see the different yeah the different aspects of the life cycle, but also you know captured in every possible type of scenario that you can. Except, I don't know that I'd want to be out in the torrential downpour that Michael's been having this week, but the well, well, well props for trying, right? <laughs> right. right?
0: You don't know, like you said, though, you could go yeah. and after an hour, it lets up and you're there. Yeah, exactly. Right?
1: And if you're and not if, there and it quits and you're kicking yourself because you're like, oh, I should yeah. be there. So you can't not can go. The, you always got to go.
2: Have the magic storm light on the mountain or you can have it in standing in your kitchen and look out and think that's awesome.
1: Yep. Now that's the biggest lesson I've learned over the years is like, you got to go. You got to give it a whirl
2: you can always come
1: back
0: so in in the far north when you're working on one side of a mountain range to another that's something i learned too is that you know you can travel 50 miles and get around a mountain and it's blue sky and beautiful and the other side you would never have guessed that you're just sopped in clouds pouring rain so without trying there's so many trips like that it's like let's go and
1: wow Mm -hmm. Even this valley where I've been shooting a lot, if you go to the head of the valley, which I like better, I like the topography, I like the color, so I'll always err on that side, but it gets more rain. So, you can go to the bottom of the valley, and it could be raining up top, and you go, I don't know, four or five miles away, and it's it's cloudy, but it's not raining. Mm -hmm. So, it could just be that one little valley, too, that today it was all just full-on super soaker, but most days you can you can just look both ways and figure out where to go. So.
0: <laughs> well, it's worth trying, especially when you're on a limited time trip, right? You got to try. Yeah.
1: You know, so one of the guys that, uh, Derek, who I met on the trail the other day, I think we've hit that point home. He's like, you guys always say it takes 10 days. <laughs> so it was kind of cool to stay <laughs> hear a listener say, you know what? Cause he only had, You know, everybody comes to Alaska and he tried to squeeze so much in. So he was doing a bear trip. And then I think he was doing, uh, he did something else. And then he was just had a few, like a couple hours to go try these moose out. And, Mm -hmm. and he'd just been recommended by his bear guide. Hey, go try this place out and happened to be the place I was at. And, and he's like, yeah, I need 10 days.
0: If you can get more, take more. Yeah, for sure. I'm heading to the Rockies for eight days, but that's what the window allows right now. But yeah, it's the more you can get, the better. Yeah, all the weather systems, lighting, change in, in foliage, change in behavior. When the foliage drops, you know, the rut will be on full bore. And then you'll have a chance at some crazy opportunities for videos that will be the caliber to go viral as these two bulls have a big battle, right? I mean, and so in the right light, Color or no color, that action's cracker yeah. It'll know. trump everything. It's it, yeah,
1: you just hope that you just hope that it happened. Or you can get snow, which totally changes the whole thing too. So now you get a,
0: a whole different look. Up there I can change in, in a, a day or two. It could change from that rain to snow for sure. High elevation. And yep. So that's we'll why that's, that's why we've had this bug for all our lives you know 25 years we've been doing this again and again It's you never know never the same experience and it's so much fun every time it's like panning for um, gold it is isn't it <laughs> it's, the, it's the best addiction i've ever had right it's a healthy one it's a good health yep. uh, not that any weren't but i mean it's it's uh, yeah totally totally good well, and if you all, if you know that gore.
1: shot, if you know that thing that you had in your mind, it's like, I really want to get a shot like this. And if you go get it, there's 10,000 more to go get. It's not like you're done. It's not like you've right. hit the pinnacle and it's all like, okay. I, I can set my camera down and
0: never shoot again. Yeah. I mean, there's a million scenarios. So yeah, no, it's never, it's never done. And then the gear, you know, when it switched from a 500 fixed focal length lens to a two to 500 is like, Whoa, or two to four. For these animals that was you know i just had to go do it all over again with the flexibility of the equipment now with the bigger sensors and being able to not have to be as close to a subject with a 46 megapixel sensor and have some crop capability and still have an incredible file all these things make me just want to keep going and doing it And in the low light you know for years I had to stand around and watch behavior because it was too early or too late now we can capture that let's go and try it again right find those animals that right Even pre-dawn, we can get it in high ISO now. So there's just so many elements that motivate us and keep us going, everybody out there. So
1: so So, just to change the subject just a tiny bit, but it kind of reflects Mm -hmm. on your 500 fixed lens thing. So I was shooting a corporate job in August and they wanted to do a night shot. And I was pretty much do this corporate job with my two to four exclusively but it's a two to four F four. And I'm thinking, man, if I got to shoot that at night, I'm going to be running my ISO up to 10,000 or whatever, who knows, just cause we're shooting action. So I went ahead and rented the Canon 400 to eight, the newest version of it. It was good and bad. The bad was I'm so used to using the two to four that I'm constantly just changing. I'm composing the picture with the zoom, right? And you just stand in one place and you get what you want. When I'm stuck at four, I found myself reaching for that damn dial all day, all night long. I'm <laughs> like, oh crap, I can't, I'm just going to have to take whatever I can take or use your feet as the zoom. Right. So I'm running back and forth, but it was, it was a, it was a huge change. It was, I'm so used to zooms now and having the quality of the zoom to compose the image that, but that lens, the version three Canon 400 28 eight. I was amazed. I was blown away at how sharp that thing is. Mm. Fast and sharp.
2: That's, that's what I've heard, those, that new series is unbelievable. And light. And you, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they well, they moved they moved the weight. They moved it kind of back toward the body. So it, it is lighter, but it feels a lot lighter because everything's so close to your body and you're not controlling weight, you know, out at the end of that lens. Yeah, it's
1: right in your center. Physically, the lens is my two to four and that 400 are about the same size physically. But Mm -hmm. yeah, the weight was um, way different. Carrying around was, it was just a whole different deal. Much easier to shoot. If they made a two to four that was that light, that that would be sweet. (laughs)
0: They will eventually. (laughs) Who knows, right? It would be the the two to eight. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, somebody told me about a 24 to 280 or a 28 to 280 Nikon. Really? That's, that's on the, in the hopper. But I think it's made for that Z Z series camera.
0: So Mm. can you imagine that? That's the way it's going mirrorless. I think, you know, that's a head scratcher from last podcast, you know, I didn't want to. I don't want to sound negative in any way whatsoever. But when the film cameras, I was f f 5, f six was the last film camera. I think it was f five was the last I owned. And then I went D for digital, right? D two was when I got on board. Now there was like D five, and now there's a D six. Coincidentally, f six was the last film. D six could be the last DSLR. with but, but mirrorless is bringing on board, right? There's been a lot of talk on YouTube. When I first heard about the D six, yeah. I went on YouTube right away. To hear about some of the reviews and thoughts on it and that was a common thought process or, or reflection was like another dslr but from what you're saying wrong with what canon's coming it with i mean if they if they up the capabilities that much uh, what you mentioned on last week's podcast then uh, yeah another dslr is okay with me you know if if it's has those kind no, of no
2: that's not a dslr that's, that's their that's their mirrorless series that's that r series oh it's the next r one yeah okay so there you go right Yep. So, yeah,
0: I want to shoot with a camera that is what you see is what you get. I just want to I just want to do that at some point just for fun. And, and again, for simplicity, we, anything to simplify our workflow at right. any aspect is welcomed, whether it's lighter gear, whether it's faster gear, better stabilizer, better post production. I love how quickly I can edit a photo on my smartphone with all the sliding tools there, you know, I. I don't want us just to shoot on smartphones, you know, and I don't think it'll ever get that way for for telephoto purposes. Not for wildlife, yeah. Not for wildlife, but for documenting and stuff. But anyway, all of these things, anything to simplify our workflow is welcomed. Mm -hmm. More time in the field, having fun and telling stories. So bring us up to speed on what you're doing. Well, yeah, let's close on that because, you know, we'll have more coming down the pipeline because it's such a busy time of year for all of us. It's one of our favorite times of year to be out for all kinds of natural environmental reasons. Yeah, so I've got heading to the Rockies out west for the next uh, week and a bit. And I'm hoping and again, it's all weather dependent. And this is where I've been handcuffed with certain parameters this fall. It's only eight days, but. I want to hopefully find some elk in magical lights, light in settings. Uh, moose, bighorn rams, mountain goats are all things that I'm hoping to see. But you never know. I'm opportunistic that way, and have a good trip, and also connect with some good friends. Hey, and do this,
1: I, do this. Don't take your two to five. Just take your twenty-four to seventy.
0: Ah, uh, how come I can do that? Okay. <laughs> But you know what? You know, it's worth mentioning. And it it is trending. We've talked about this even a year ago on the podcast. So-called environmental portraits are becoming more and more popular where it's the big landscape and the small animal. And I have noticed more and more photographers just even in the past two weeks. And I can't tell on Instagram, for instance, if they're there now or if this is something they photographed last year or the year before. But they're putting up more Images where the animal is small and the the landscape, when it's warranted, like in the Rockies, is magnificent. The light's spectacular. So definitely that's on the radar. There's a few things on the radar. Another one is just grit, gritty kind of images where there's mood and things going on to complement the behavior. It's something else I want to try to collect. So then after the Rockies, I pivot quickly and then within 36 hours, uh, I'm in Newfoundland. To, to do stuff there again with spectacular landscapes and my primary interest is woodland caribou because of what's happening in the populations. There's more and more storytelling going on in, in the world I work in, in, in with publishing with the plight of caribou across the north and what's uh, causing these populations to decline. So last year, there were a couple of pockets in Newfoundland that I was able to find and film and one had a huge group of animals up to 200 and I'm hoping to hike up to that high country and get on them in a better situation this year than last year. I had a storm come in by the time I'd hiked up crazy off the, off the north coast where I was. You could see the storm coming. It looked like it was going to lock the day down and like the winds were, you know, probably 40 miles an hour up high, so I, I hiked back down. By the time I got back to my where i parked my vehicle, an hour hike, if the sun had come out. It's just so crazy on Newfoundland that the dramatic scenes and weather systems that can go through. Mind you, it can last for two or three days just as easily. So you never know, but I wanna try that again for the caribou and tell that story. Last year was the first year in many trips to Newfoundland that I'd found uh, calves, or they call them prickets there, so young of the year and the document that is good given the population issues as well and then moose i can't help everywhere i go to to look for moose and try and film them too so variety of things and then uh, after that it'll be peak color that's the, the wonder and, and typically I, I start like with you michael this year in the far north where you can be up there at the end of august and color starting first week you know and, and follow it south as, as we come down but this year i couldn't do that but color here where I live in eastern Ontario, peaks around mid-October. Even my favorite week to be in deciduous forests is the last week of October because the the canopy has more than half of it's fallen to the forest floor. So you have this carpet of color everywhere and the canopy's opened up enough on an overcast day. The diffused light's coming in and it's bright in these forests so I can set up a blind or a hide. In, in situations where that's required and get those images where you know obviously this time of year in september there's green foliage everywhere you can't see 30 or 40 yards through the forest so that changes that landscape and opens up that potential so you know for white-tailed deer i'll find a, a oak tree um, this year is it's like marbles out there so many acorns following so find a white oak or red oak that's got all kinds of acorns under it in that kind of open situation at the end of october so that's on my wish list of hopefully things will pan out image wise too and then one thing i'm actually very excited about and i've tried this before you know this was four year, four or five years ago i spent quite a bit on a canon hd video camera which is a um what do they call it now a uh, paperweight <laughs> <laughs> The brand was irrelevant. The fact is it's an HD camera. And when I look at the footage now, it could have some social media applications. But I spent a lot of time collecting video as well as stills on several big expeditions that I don't even use anymore. And so I've switched back to stills the last few years. But after spending time with you in the field, Michael, in July and having fun telling those stories. So we did a vlog on settings on your DSLR to shoot quality video so it's on our youtube channel at wild and exposed podcast on youtube check that out and subscribe so you can get more of them as they come along but that dialed me in and i'm looking forward to it's not i don't i'm not looking forward to carrying the video tripod around but i'm going to have to and so I, here's something i'm going to try this could be a hack i'm thinking how am i going to carry this around it comes in a compact bag but because i fly and i'm going to be hiking for miles i don't want to carry a bag i don't want to have to it's one thing to set up the tripod and that time delay but to zip it out of a bag and all that show so i'm not going to leave the bag at home i'm putting the bare naked tripod in my luggage bag in my duffel here's what i'm thinking i'm going to try i don't know if it's going to work or not it's a little big to strap to my backpack but i'm going to just take a luggage strap you know, with the big buckles you know that we put around the duffels to secure things on flights and I'm going to use that as a, as a size it appropriately and just belt it over my shoulder in my backpack with the tripod behind me, so I can hopefully just hike with everything and carry it. You know, I have the Nalgene hanging on the carabiner on the one side and the tripod on the other with this luggage strap. I don't know, maybe too MacGyverish and might not work, but I'm going to carry that this fall, and I'm looking forward to doing more video because all these multimedia platforms. Still photos, you know, are fantastic, but to be able to mix that in with stories. So the place I found with this magnificent woodland caribou last year, I'm hoping to get him in some dramatic light and to be able to capture both on still and video, tell the story both ways. So I'll be carrying that equipment and, and jumping back and forth, which we know is almost an impossible challenge to shoot stills and video on the same shoot. Well, but. Here I go, I'm gonna try it again to do some of that. So I'm looking forward to that and the challenge of that. And then there's, here's the other thing, that Sean James did in July by planting his GoPro when that moose went by eating the fireweed. I have got these little GoPro stakes now or or, um, action cameras, I don't have, I'm not using a GoPro, I'm using the Osmo Action. I'm gonna try that with the caribou as well. I don't think where I'm going, it will work for moose. But the caribou, I think I'd be able to predict where they're going to go. If I try half a dozen times, they might walk close enough to it and uh, get some cool video wide angle stuff that way. So I want to experiment with the action cameras as well. So I've been trying that
1: a little bit so hard to, I mean, he's just like, oh yeah, he's going to go over here.
0: No. Right. No. You almost need like four of them and just quickly go pop, 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 pop. Yeah. 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 Yeah, You need to pepper the woods with the action cameras. and just (laughs) Uh, recording. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it has a big winner if you get it for sure. That's why we were just shaking our heads because we didn't even see Sean put it. And then when when the moose walked by, I think we saw it because it was right there. It's like, oh, wow. (laughs) You got it. Anyway, I want to try some of that. And, And if it works, it'll be phenomenal. I think it'd be even funny if the animal, like in one situation, knocked the camera over. Yeah. You know, be all those people out there who think you were holding the camera, they'd be like, wow, you got nine dogs. It was, you know, 50 yards away. But it's just some of that stuff. Did anyway, I send
1: you guys a picture or a link to that video that I, I think you sent it to me, Ron, a long time ago, but I recently watched it again? But it's a David Yarrow. So he's doing a lot of African wildlife. With oh, white
2: and he's doing the wide-angle stuff with the elephants, yeah, where he's and just he's, leaving, gets out there ahead of them and predicts yeah. the path. Man, yeah. he's killing it.
1: But he's doing it with stills, so yep. he's firing it with a pocket wizard or like something remote, like that. Yeah. But he's got a picture, video of an elephant that walks right up to that camera and kicks it.
2: <laughs> just,
1: like, just like a field goal, man. It's just like,
2: boom, and it's gone. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to be a sponsored photographer before I do too much of that because the insurance companies <laughs> gonna drop me pretty quick if I, if I keep coming back to them. <laughs> I did you see that, Mark?
1: I haven't. No. Okay, I'll send uh, you the well, link because it's worth it's worth yeah, watching. it's
2: worth watching for sure. So I didn't get to tell you guys about the the pinnacle of my fall so far. Oh no! Really? There's more. So bold note. The other, the other morning I was out just sitting on this lake and it was before, before the sun was completely up. It was kind of pre-dawn. And, uh, this fog was rolling across the, the top of the water. The water's perfectly still. And there was this group of mallards that were just kind of feeding every once in a while. One, you know, they'd preen and one of them would get up and, and wing flap. And so I thought, well, I can still stay fairly low on the ISO and and just get some video of these guys and just stay as still as I can, because you know, those pre-dawn hours, the woods just come alive with sounds. And so I thought oh, i just stay as still as I can and uh, just let that sound kind of emanate through the, through the video. And so I set it up, just kind of step back and, watched and listened. And there's some elk that started bugling, you know, off behind me. And then all of a sudden, up on this ridge that was up on top, uh, two wolves howled back and forth on this ridge. And I think I haven't watched all the clips yet. But I'm pretty sure I got both one after the other on on the audio that are discernible i didn't have the good mic set up but yeah it was amazing and then a little bit later in that morning that's when i was photographing the osprey a little bit later in that morning we saw two of the wolves they'd kind of come all the way around the lake and they were on the far end they were about a thousand yards thousand meters out um but there were two of them and uh yeah it was unreal later that same day some other Another group of photographers saw nine wolves all together in that in that same area, so I'm sure it was the same pack but that is awesome. that yeah, was phenomenal because this well, I'll quit saying phenomenal, <laughs> Missy, I'm sorry, but it was <laughs> You could use epic You could use it I actually could use epic, couldn't I I don't have to pay the dollar.
1: So I thought that whole story, you know, Ron and his sense of humor. I'm just sitting there waiting for that, you know. And then I (laughs) thought he was going to be like, and then I sat on a whoopee cushion, or you know, some goofy. Yeah,
2: no. That was a. It was a a true, actually, pretty sobering moment. Yeah, it was for sure. Huh. Just capped off a weekend before, before going to say goodbye to some family and friends for the last time. It capped off. A weekend in a way that you just kind of it's one of those moments where you felt like you just had a little bit of a gift, you know, Sweet. and that's that's why you go out there. Or that's why I go out there. I like to have a lot of fun, but there's more and more of those moments where you feel like you've been gifted with something that you might have never experienced if you if you just didn't get out of bed that morning, you know, so that was one of them for sure.
1: Yeah, that's why I stood in the rain for three hours this morning, just in case. Just in case.
0: Yeah, yeah. our condolences, buddy. Our condolences. Yep. And it's it's a, it's a reminder how privileged we are, and 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 to make the most of it. I think you posted that on a, on Instagram just today or or yesterday. Something about making the most of every day, living. Alone. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well. You know, it's, it's a very real and sobering note. I think we should close on there because that's the magic of what we do. Ultimately, I think you summarized it perfectly, you know, to be in the wilderness and to be moved that way. It's, there's nothing that really compares to it. And to have that happen, that timing means something. So for sure. Yeah. Peace, man. Get a better microphone. There's uh, there going to be uh, more okay. stories from the field. Falls. Falls, just, were you going to comment
2: on your microphone? (laughs) It's going back to Best Buy. That's the only comment that I have. I'm going to go back to the old, I'm going to go back to the old standby. Yeah, I did switch.
0: Yeah.
2: And I'm not going to name the brand because I'm not going to have it next week.
0: (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. I hope you've enjoyed the stories from the field. There are lots more coming. Fall is really just beginning across much of North America. And even though the colors may have fallen off some of the vegetation in the far north where Michael is, there's a lot of action to be had yet and seasonal transition. So stay tuned for future podcasts. And no matter what platform you're listening to us on, please take the time to follow and subscribe and to give us that five-star rating, the thumbs up, either one, depending on the platform. Because those truly help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a weekly basis. You can see more of our team's work on Facebook, on Instagram, on our YouTube channel, and of course at wildinexposed.com. And we invite you to go there to look at the show notes from today's podcast for the images that were discussed as well. And they're definitely worth checking out as they are every week. We appreciate any comments that you have and questions, any positive feedback. We enjoy interacting with all of you and appreciate your loyalty in listening to us on a weekly basis. A special shout out to Missy McKenzie, our hardworking and talented producer, for all that she does behind the scenes to bring this podcast to you for your listening enjoyment. And until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.